0: Good morning, church. It is so wonderful to see you this morning. Let me take just a second before we get started and tell you what I always tell you, whether you are a member here, whether you are a guest here, whether you are here in this room or you're watching online, I love you, we love you, and we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for everything that you are doing, for what God is doing through you, through us. God is doing good things through his people throughout the world and we really are brighter together than any of us would be apart. So thank you for being together with God, together with us, whether together in person or together in spirit and in mind and in purpose and in heart. We love you and we are so incredibly thankful for each and every one of you. This morning we're going to start a new series and we're talking of course about resurrection and we all want to talk about resurrection. We want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and we want to talk about the coming resurrection and just that word just breathes life into us, doesn't it? It's such a joyful word to think about the idea of resurrection, And that's a good word, and we're going to celebrate resurrection, and we're going to think about resurrection, and we're going to dwell on resurrection throughout this month. But before we do, we have to talk first about death, because without death, there is no resurrection. We cannot, we cannot celebrate the joy of resurrection without first lamenting the pain of death. And I just want to dwell on that for a minute. I know, I know that's not a fun thought to dwell on, and we don't want to dwell on that thought, but the fact that we don't want to talk about that and the fact that we don't want to think about that and the fact that we don't want to dwell on that is all the more reason to force ourselves to do exactly that, to just sit with this thought for a moment, that we cannot, we cannot celebrate the joy of resurrection without first lamenting the pain of death And church, in our modern world, we are not very good at lament. We are not very good at lament. In fact, I would go so far as to say that for many of us in the modern world, we have lost the ability to lament. We have lost both the words and the will to lament lament. We just want to celebrate. Just tell me the good news. Don't tell me the bad news. Just tell me what to be happy about. Put a positive spin on things. Tell me about the silver lining. But our modern inability to lament is itself lamentable. It's lamentable that we've lost the ability to lament. We just want the resurrection of Sunday, and we don't want the cross a Friday. But when you minimize death, when you minimize lament, when you minimize grief, you also minimize resurrection. You also minimize celebration. What are we celebrating? And if we don't let it sink in, just how bad death is, just how lamentable death is, just how grievous Death is, then we will never understand how joyous resurrection is. We won't understand the good news unless first we understand the bad news. But we try, in our modern world, we try to push ourselves away from negative things as much as possible, don't we? We try to distract ourselves from grief and distract ourselves from death. We deny and we delay and we disguise. Death. We deny it. We say, well, it's not really so bad. Things aren't really so bad. We kind of put a positive spin on everything or we say, this probably won't happen to me or that won't happen to me. We delay death. Thankfully, because of medical advancements, we're able to delay death for years and years and years. But along with that delay comes a delay in discussion and it's out of sight and out of mind and somehow we tell ourselves that a death at 100 is somehow less tragic than a death at 20, but it's really just as tragic that anybody dies at any age, and we're not able to cure death. We're not able to prevent ourselves from dying indefinitely, but we can delay it, and with the delay comes a delay of discussion, and we don't talk about it, and we even disguise death. We don't even want to say that a person has died we don't even like to use that word because it's so blunt and it's so hard and it's so difficult to even wrap our mind around or think about. And so we, we give ourselves euphemisms to say they, they've passed on or they're no longer with us because even the word itself is too hard to say. But church, we can't. We can't celebrate the joy of resurrection without first lamenting the pain of death, we have to recognize just how bad it is. We have to allow ourselves, we have to allow ourselves to feel what we feel. But church, I've been with too many of us. I've been at too many gravesides. I've been at too many funerals. And for many of us, our faith doesn't have the words for grief. We haven't left room in our faith for grief. People tell me all the time, I feel like I'm being selfish because I'm grieving. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is not selfish to grieve. It is incredibly natural to grieve. In fact, Christianity, our Christian faith, gives us room to feel just how devastating death is and grief are and without understanding just how devastating death and grief are we'll never understand just how joyous and wonderful resurrection really is because that's what we're looking forward to we are looking forward to resurrection to the death of death to the end of death and that's our text for this morning is a promise that God made through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus about the death of death, about the end of death. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 25, starting. Isaiah says, Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. Isaiah says, your promises are faithful and what? Sure. Your promises are faithful and sure. You will bring down the ruthless. You will bring down the oppressor. Now, Isaiah is prophesying right on the precipice of an era of death and destruction. In fact, Isaiah has a whole lot of negative things to say. And very few people ever want to listen to those negative things. And Isaiah says death, destruction, judgment are coming. But in the end, God will take care of his people. God will bless his people more than you can possibly imagine. So what we might have to go through for a period of time is going to be difficult and is going to be hard and many are going to die. But on the other side, on the other side, God has very great promises for you and his promises are faithful and sure. And every oppressor, And every ruthless nation, no matter how fortified their cities, no matter how big and strong and scary they seem, God will bring them down. But again, in order for you to embrace the joy of the promise, you have to understand the weight of the oppression, the weight of the ruthless ones, just how scary, just how bad, just how devastating all of these people are. Assyria and Babylon, and Egypt, and all of the empires, and nations, and threats that we face in our world today. But then, then you have what Isaiah says, I trust in you. Oh Lord, you are my God, I trust in you. And that's what we're talking about this morning, church. We talk about resurrection. We're not talking about pie in the sky. We're not talking about putting a positive spin on everything or talking about everything has a silver lining and saying things aren't really as bad as they seem. No, no, no. Things are probably worse than they seem. But God is better than you could possibly imagine. And his promises are better than you can possibly imagine. So trust him. Trust him through The storm, because the storm is coming, but on the other side are God's promises. Look at verse four. Here's what he says about God For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. The ruthless and the oppressive, he says, are like a storm banging against a wall. You've, you've probably felt that, haven't you? Or at least you can imagine what that feels like strong winds or a tornado or a hurricane just beating against the wall. And that's how the ruthless are. That's how life is sometimes, isn't it? And it just beats us up and beats us up and beats us up and beats us up. And sometimes we are afraid to admit just how bad it hurts. I I hope to give you permission to admit just how bad it hurts it hurts. To admit that sometimes it feels like I'm in a storm. Sometimes it feels like there's wind that's beating against the walls of my life. Or he says it's like scorching heat. But notice what God is. God is a stronghold. God is a shelter. God is a shade. And he says it's like, we've all experienced this, haven't we? We've been outside, maybe someplace where there's no shade, and maybe you're out in a big field, and the sun is just beating down on you, and you feel like you're just going to melt. You felt like that? You just feel like you're going to melt, and it's horrible, and it's scorching, and then all of a sudden, a cloud passes between you and the sun, and it just kind of sucks up all of the sun's energy and all of that heat, and all of a sudden, it's like the temperature goes down about 20 degrees, and it's just this feeling of relief, and that's a good word, isn't it? Relief. And that's what we need sometimes, isn't it? Just relief from the storm. And he says, God, that's, that's what you are. You are a stronghold. You are a shelter. You are a shade. You're like a cloud that passes between the scorching heat and your people. And you absorb its heat. And you provide shelter and shade and relief to your people. And church... If we're not willing to say, this is how bad it hurts. I feel like I'm melting in the sun. I feel like I'm melting in the scorching heat. I feel like the storms are pounding and banging against my life and they're going to tear me down. And then we experience the relief that God provides And Isaiah says, that's what you are, God. That's what you've always been to your people. You are a stronghold. You are a shelter. You are a shade. And you subdue the song of the ruthless. They are put down because you are a shelter. You are a shade. You are a stronghold to your people. God is our relief. Look at verse 6, though. Here's where we really get to our text. Verse 6. He says, on the mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a food, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. this picture of the mountain, and on this mountain, God's going to throw a party. God's going to throw a feast. It goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 2. This mountain where there will be the new Jerusalem, This mountain into which all of the nations of the world, not just the Jewish people, not just the Israelite people, not just the descendants of Abraham, but all the nations of the world will flow into God's city on this mountain and out of this mountain will flow God's law, God's promises, God's blessings to all the nations of the world. And Isaiah says someday, someday on this mountain, God's going to throw a feast. And it's going to be the best food and the best wine, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be wonderful, and God's people are going to experience all of his blessings. And we see this promise coming true at Pentecost, don't we? After Jesus has been crucified, and buried, and Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand, and then out of Jerusalem... Out of Jerusalem, the law goes forth, God's promises go forth, God's blessings go forth out of Jerusalem to all the nations of the world. And we begin to see this coming true. But there's also another sense in which we're still waiting for this, aren't we? We're still waiting for this feast day, this day of celebration, this day to say, God won, all of the pain is over. All of the destruction is over. All of the oppression is over. All of the injustice is over. All of the death is over. All of the destruction is over. It's all done. It's all past, And we just get to celebrate what our God has done. And we are anticipating that day. In fact, I would say every time we break bread, every time we share a meal with each other, that's what we're anticipating, aren't we? We're anticipating this day. This day on the mountain, this day in the New Jerusalem, this day of eating this feast with God and His people, celebrating that it's all over. It's all done. All the pain and all the tears and all the struggle and all the sorrow, it's all done. And we're trusting God in the here and now anticipating that day. And in fact, we're celebrating in the here and now, anticipating that day. And every time we get together and we share the Lord's Supper or we just share a meal with each other, we are anticipating someday, someday, people of every nation, this multinational, multi-ethnic family of God that Jesus has saved, we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate forever, celebrate what God has done. But it gets better than that. Look at verse 7. Isaiah says, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Swallow up. That's a powerful image, isn't it? Swallow up. Not only is this what God is going to do, he's going to swallow up, but I think this phrase is used because that's what death does, doesn't it? It swallows up. It swallows up the people that we love. It swallows up the people that we love. But even grief itself does that, even to those that are still living. Sometimes it swallows us up. And some of us feel that way this morning. Some of us have been feeling that way for a while. Like we've been swallowed up by grief. Like we've been swallowed up by death. Even though we continue to live because death has swallowed up those we love, we feel swallowed up by grief. And sometimes we're afraid to admit that We're afraid that admitting that means that we're not being very Christian or we're not having much faith or we're not having the right outlook or the right perspective. But God knows, God knows more than we give him credit for sometimes just how bad death hurts and that death swallows up the people that we love. In fact, he goes on to say there's a covering, there's a covering, a a funeral veil that is over the entire world. All people are under this, this veil, under this covering, under this funeral garment. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? Every single people group in all the world, regardless of nationality, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic position, regardless of education, regardless of religion, regardless of political affiliation, every single person group in the entire world is grieving because we're all dealing with this same problem. And we have been since the fall, we have all been touched by death and grief. And there is a veil, there is a covering over all of us because death has swallowed up so many of us. And that's reality. And until we acknowledge that reality, then we can't acknowledge the joy of this promise that God will swallow up the one who swallows up his people. Amen? God will swallow up death. Death has been swallowing up God's people, but God will swallow up death. God will destroy death. Death will be no more. And that veil... That funeral veil that covers all the nations, God will swallow it up and it will be gone forever. Death will be dead. Death will be destroyed. That's what we need. We need permission to be angry with death. We need permission to admit just how bad death hurts so that we can embrace the joy of this promise that God will swallow up death. And there is coming a day where God's going to throw a party. God's going to have a celebration on his holy mountain in his new Jerusalem, a day where people of every nation, tribe, and tongue are going to be together and celebrate the victory that God has had over death. And that veil, that veil that covers you, that feeling of being swallowed up by death, it will all be reversed. It will all be gone. It will all be no more. Listen what Isaiah says that God will do for his people that he will wipe away tears from all faces. That's good, isn't it? And John borrows the same language in the book of Revelation, doesn't he? When he's talking about the New Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 21. And verse 4, you probably know this passage well. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. But here's the thing with God wiping away every tear you have to give him your tears to wipe away. If God's going to wipe away our tears, we have to have tears for God to wipe away and we have to give them to him to wipe them away. God knows just how bad death is. God knows just how bad grief is. God knows just how bad pain is and mourning is and crying is and he wants to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we have to give him our tears. We have to trust him. We have to trust him. Sometimes maybe that's what it comes down to. Sometimes I don't want to talk about how bad death is. I don't want to talk about how bad death hurts. I don't want to even think about how bad death hurts. Because maybe I struggle with whether or not I trust God to wipe away my tears. But this is the promise this is the promise of Isaiah. This is the promise of the gospel. You can trust God with your grief. You can trust him with your grief. We trust him with our grief because he brings relief. That, that feeling of the cloud that passes over on that hot, sunny day when you think you're going to melt and that cloud comes and you just oh, sigh of relief. Even, even when you know it's, it's only going to last a moment and, and pretty soon the cloud's going to move and it's going to be hot again, God, God does that for us even right now, doesn't he? And there's those moments, those moments when you just feel like you've been swallowed up, those moments where you just feel like you're covered over, those moments where you just feel beat up by life and death and grief and everything that life has thrown at you, and then God passes over And he gives you that moment of relief. God's doing that right now. If we're willing to trust him with our grief, he brings relief. But but then in those moments where the cloud is over you and you just think, I just wish this would last forever. I just wish this moment would never end. This moment where the temperature just feels just right and there's no more hurt and there's no more pain. And you know that cloud's going to move away. And God says, "Wait, wait, wait, A day is coming where that's exactly what you'll experience. Permanent relief. Permanent relief. No more storms that are pounding you. No more heat that is scorching you. No more veil that is covering you. No more death that is paining you. No more. It's going to be gone. Permanent and forever relief. That day is coming. But why are we talking about this today? Why why are we talking about that day of of resurrection? That day when God will raise all of us from the dead and death will be no more. He will swallow up death. I thought today was a day where we're supposed to talk about Jesus' resurrection. Well, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Because based on promises like this, promises like Isaiah's, 700 years later, the Jewish people of Jesus' day, they expected that someday, someday relief was coming. Someday, resurrection was coming. Someday, there would be no more death. There would be no more dying. There would be no more mourning. There would be no more hurting. They expected a day like that to come. They expected resurrection for God's people. But what they didn't expect is that one of God's people would be raised in advance of all the others. And that's exactly what's happened in Jesus, that God has raised his son in advance of all the others, so that he might become the firstborn, the firstborn of the dead, so that the victory has already been claimed. The contest between God and death has already been waged, and it's already been claimed. God has already become victorious. So right now, in this moment, as we trust him, in Jesus, the relief of our grief isn't just a future hope. It's a present reality. In Jesus, the relief of our grief isn't just a future hope. It's a present reality. God has already been victorious. And in a sense, in our baptism, we've already been raised up with him. And so we have all the more reason to trust him with our grief. That's what we're committing to, isn't it, when we're baptized into Jesus, is that we're saying that because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, we trust him to take away our sins. We trust him to raise us from the dead. We trust him with our grief, with our tears right now and our tears forever. We trust him enough to be honest. We trust him enough to grieve. We trust him enough to weep. We trust him enough to lament. Enough to say, God, this hurts. And some days I feel like I'm melting. And some days I feel like I'm being beat up. And God provides relief. He provides relief day by day. And there's coming a day where there will be permanent relief. A day where God will swallow up death forever. No more death. No more dying. No more mourning. No more pain. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And in Jesus, the relief of our grief isn't just a future hope, it's a present reality. So my encouragement for all of us today is to celebrate what God, through Jesus, has done for us in relieving our grief and look forward to, anticipate the day where our grief will be forever and permanently relieved. And if we can help you with that or with anything this morning, we would love to visit with you, pray with you, help you to put Jesus on in baptism. Now is a great opportunity to visit with one of our shepherds at the information desk as together we stand and sing this song.